Chapter 17 of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katerina. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins. The Face at the Window. Nothing unusual happened at Villa Casanova for the next few weeks. Link and I studied hard to make up for lost time and in the afternoons we went out to the plantation, always taking Talmy, the dog that Link's father had given him. The shaggy fellow proved to be a very intelligent animal, and a most playful one. He seemed to understand when he was spoken to. Link was delighted with him, and I noticed that ever since the dog came the skinny guy was less homesick and more consoled than he had been since he first heard that his mother was dead. Doc Waters and Uncle Lucio usually went out during part of the afternoon. They never told us where they were bound for, nor did they talk to us much in the evening about where they had been. Doc was very careful to see that I remained with Link Lambert always. And I did, too. I kept him under my eye, so to speak. Ever since the affair of the poison dart, I had been afraid that if we did not be more watchful, we might lose our skinny guy. I kept in his shadow always, and often when he suggested a trip here or there, or wished to enter to unknown parts of the plantation, I held him back and suggested something else. Link's father had gone back to his cabin in the rocks the day after he brought Link the dog. He wanted to remain at Villa Casanova, but Uncle Lucio refused. It seemed unkind to us boys, but then we knew that Uncle Lucio must have some good reason, or he would not be so severe with Link's father. And so Mr. Lambert had gone back, taking with him again the trusted man, Valdez. When they set out in the roughly made rowboat that Mr. Lambert had built, the dog, Tell Me, as Link had named him, jumped into the boat with them. We took him out, of course, for Link did not want to part with him for a minute. But the dog whined and howled as we held him while the boat sailed away. But when we got him back to the house, he forgot about it and was as playful a fellow as ever I knew a dog to be. Since the day the poison dart had been directed at Link, Doc Waters insisted that I remain with him always. Gabriel had moved Link's bed into my room, and things went on smoothly enough, except for the fact that my skinny pal would have it that Talmy stayed in our room with us all night. Not that I minded having a dog in the room. No, indeed. I used to have a fox terrier I liked pretty well myself when I was a very little kid. But the only thing I objected to was that the big ruffian would go to sleep wherever he pleased. Sometimes he would hunt his bed long before we felt like going to sleep, and then you might find him any place. He sometimes would pick out the straw mat at the foot of the bed, but not very often. Most likely you would find him curled up right in the middle of the bed. And he was so big and our bed so little that when he was in, there was room for no more. Many a time I came in and chucked him out, as Dog told me to do, then he would stand there with a grin on his pointed face, wagging his tail as if to say, Ah, oh, gee, have a heart. One night I woke up and found Link in my bed sound asleep beside me, and tell me sleeping just as soundly by himself in Link's bed. Next morning Link said he came in after I had gone to sleep, and found tell me in his bed and didn't like to disturb the poor fellow. He seemed so worn out. Ah, well, a boy is only a boy for a short time, and a dog is a dog forever, so I didn't take to scolding Tell Me. Link would grow up to be a man, 
but tell me would pass on to a dog heaven in nowhere and so we might as well make life pleasant for the poor fellow while it lasted i liked the big shaggy pup very much myself for all the fun we had out of him during the day and i thought much of him because he never seemed to get angry he never snapped at anybody he never chased a cat although he did take a dislike to the big brown goat that belonged to dirty little miguel peralta but we liked him more for that he was just a big overgrown puppy with all a puppy's playfulness and a lot more intelligence than some trained dogs i had seen now comes another incident that set us all again in a state of excitement link and i had come home after our usual afternoon's troll and found doc and lucille sitting in the library with grave faces ah hawkins said lucille and sprang up to meet us how long have you and link been away from the house about two hours i should say i replied then it must have happened this afternoon said lucio to doc i knew it i was sure of it because i saw the stone in its case this morning before we left what i exclaimed do you mean the diamond is stolen lucio nodded yes he said it is gone i had an appointment with a jeweler in havana to-night to look at the stone and tell me its value when i came back i went immediately to my room the box in which I had left it was just as I had left it this morning, but when I opened it I found it empty. I was surprised for the moment that I did not speak. In fact, none of us spoke. There was a silence for two full minutes while we looked at one another with a feeling, I know, of sad disappointment. Then Link spoke. It was my pop's diamond, he said in a high voice. I was glad he was going to get some money. He never had none his whole life, and he won't take any of mine. Now what's he going to do? Doc saw that Link was about to fall again into that gloomy way of his, and he rose up at once. Don't worry, Link, he said. We will get busy at once to recover the jewel. Hawkins, take a look at the room where Uncle Lucio had the stone. Use your eyes and see what you can find out. But I was shaking my head while Doc was speaking. Ah, oh, Doc! I said, have a heart. Don't put this thing up to me. I can figure out some things, but not anything like this. Take him up, Lucio, interrupted Doc. I believe you can be of help to us, spoke Lucio quietly with a smile. Dr. Waters thinks very much of your ability, Hawkins, and I myself know that you observe even the smallest details. It can do no harm to have you look over the place. We already have done so and can find nothing, but we are poor detectives. I never claimed to be one either, I said, but since you feel that way, come on, I'll look the place over. You will come along, won't you, Link? But Link shook his head and went over and sat beside Doc Waters. I want to go home, Doc, he said. Please take me away from this place. I do not know what Doc said to him, for Lucio had taken my hand and was leading me up the marble stairs. When we reached the room, I said to myself, Nothing has happened here. Everything is in apple pie order. So I turned suddenly upon Lucio and asked, Where was Gabriel when this thing happened? We sent him down to get the boat ready for another trip, explained Lucio. There was no one in the house after you boys left. Well, I said, that does not prove that he did not take the diamond, and from all that I have seen of him, I must say that he is the one I would suspect, Uncle Lucio. Uncle Lucio looked worried. Let's hope not, 
he muttered. Why, Secretary Hawkins, if Gabriel has done this, it will make me believe more than ever that he is helping those who are fighting Link Lambert for his fortune. And if that is true, we are all as well off as rats in a trap. But I will leave you alone. Perhaps you will find something to tell us whether or not Gabriel did this, or... He paused. Well, I asked. Then he laughed lightly. I am an old dreamer, secretary, he said in a soft, musical voice. An old dreamer, yes, that's it. I have dreamed all my life, while others have worked to build. But some day my dreaming will be done. I'll tell you then what I dreamed about. He smiled at me as he went down the first steps, and then I was alone. Well, I said to myself, somebody took a diamond out of this small box that was in a locked drawer of this mahogany table. The lock is not broken, and the box is right where Lucio left it. Now, who took it, and how did he go about it? I looked all over the room, but, though I spent a long time there, I found not one thing that would help me figure it out. I thought back then to the days when I used to figure out mysteries for our boys in the houseboat. They were easy things compared with what I had to tackle down here in Cuba. Finally, I gave it up and was about to go downstairs when I thought of the window and went over and raised it. There was just a faint smudge upon the white sill, and I thought, the thief surely climbed in here. I put out my head and saw that a stout vine clambered over the entire outer wall at this side of the house. Easy, I thought, for a thief to climb in. So I reached out and swung myself onto the vine, which held like a stout tangle of rope, and I slowly felt my foothold down to the ground. Before I jumped from the vine, I noticed that the cement walk was about four feet from the house, and between the walk and the house was common yellow clay. I leaped from the vine to the cement walk, without allowing my foot to touch the uncovered ground, and then I stooped to see what footprints had been left in that yellow clay, a smudge of which I had seen on the windowsill above. And, to my great satisfaction, I found several marks. Footprints, without a doubt, going from the walk to the foot of the vine. What, I asked myself, are these marks? One is a footprint, indeed, of a full-soled shoe in a heel behind it. But this other beside it, and a little to the right, is but the print of a shoe sole. No heel was there to match it. I followed it to the wall, but it was always the same, one complete footprint and one toe print. I traced it up the wall, and there ever so often was a yellow smudge of clay against the white wall of the house, where the boot had touched the stone. I climbed back up the vine the way I had come, and was surprised to find it so easy to enter the house that way. It was a wonder to me that they had not been a robber in this house before. Why, it seemed to me, this vine must have been planted for that very purpose, to enter the house without being seen. It set me to thinking, but I still did not have it figured out. I returned to the big library. Doc, Lucio, and Link were talking. Well, said Doc, as I appeared, what does it look like, Hawkins? Doc, I answered, at first I thought you and Lucio were fooling me, and that you just said the diamond was stolen to have something for me to figure out for you. But I know the diamond was stolen now. Doc looked quickly at Lucio. Lucio smiled. You do not think we would send you upon a wild goose chase, he said. 
It is because we know you can do this, secretary, that we tell you about it at all. What have you discovered in the room? Nothing, I answered. There is not a thing in the room that would make you think there was a robbery, except that the diamond is missing. But give me the chance to think it over, Uncle Lucio, because I am only a kid, you know. I can't work so fast. Doc laughed. Yes, give him a little time, he said. Gabriel showed up in time to prepare the dinner table, and Delgado, the Spanish chef at Villa Casanova, had a very fine dinner for us, but it seemed as though none of us had any appetite left. I, for one, could not eat more than a few bites of bread and butter and a cup of that Puerto Rico coffee they serve, which gives you the impression that it is made out of powdered plucked tobacco or something like that. But anyway, the meal was over quickly, and after reading for a little while, Link and I went up to our rooms, chased tell me out of my bed and went to sleep. Our room was across the hall from the room in which Lucio slept, and from which the diamond had been stolen. Our window opens out on the side of the house that runs with the highway as it turns toward the plantation district. I don't know what made me awaken, but I must say that, as I slowly came back to consciousness and hovered between sleeping and waking, I felt as though ghosts were real things, and that I really believed in them. For as I began to awaken, I felt, just as real as life, a hand softly touch my face, and some way, somehow, I knew that it was nothing but a ghost. No human hand could feel so soft, and yet so cold and clammy. I tried to laugh as I sat up, and realized that I had thought it a ghostly hand that had touched my face. I was glad that Link was sound asleep, and that Telmy was curled up on the straw mat at the foot of my bed. I laughed again at my own foolishness, and said to myself, as I had often said, There are no ghosts. I was only dreaming. And then, oh, the shock of that first sight at the window. Right at that minute, when I had just awakened with the thought of a ghost hovering over me, and had just decided to fall back upon my pillow with the words, There are no ghosts, my eyes turned suddenly upon the window, and there a pallid, ugly, bald-headed, greenish face was pressed against the iron grating, the silver moonlight falling upon it, making it more hideous than it seemed to me in that still hour of the night. At first I was tempted to cry out, for Doc, for Lucio, for somebody to chase that ugly mask from my window, but it suddenly disappeared, and I felt cold sweat pouring out of every pore in my body. It all happened so quickly, so suddenly, so quietly. The big dog slumbered on quietly upon the straw mat. I mustered up my courage and tried to tell myself that this was all imagination, that something I had eaten had not agreed with me, most likely the Puerto Rico coffee. But then, as I sat there, I heard the sound of retreating footsteps, and what struck me was that while one was plain and distinct as an ordinary shoe striking the ground, the other was just a light tap. Quickly I threw the coverlet off and rushed to the window. Flinging open the grating, I shoved my head out and looked down the walk. In the light of the moon I saw him, and I felt an awful hatred for that ugly thing that had scared me so. He walked slowly because he was lame. One leg was twisted and bent, so that he walked only upon the toe with his lame foot. He neither looked back nor turned, but walked slowly and straightway down the cement path until he reached the gate. And there, turning, he took the road and disappeared behind the bamboo trees that lined the pavement. 
He was the man who had made the odd footprints beneath the window of Lucio's room. He was the man who had climbed the vine. He was the one that had stolen the diamond. End of chapter 17